Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Joanne Yamani. She's the Senior Director and Head of Communications for NEO. So Joanne, thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Taz. Yeah. So, I mean, we met on Lunch Club and you're a PR pro, communications pro. So I had a bunch of you know, questions that have come up. So I want to dig through your past and, and learn all sorts of things about what you do and, and the PR area. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. My first curiosity is when I look at your profile, you were in law and government studies and stuff. What was the original plan? The original plan. So I went to college at Mills College. It's a small all women's liberal arts college in the Bay Area of California. And I majored in government economics. And I was planning on becoming a professor, actually. And I had a lot of internships throughout college. I interned for Congressman Norm Mineta back when he was a congressman, the Canadian consulate where I worked on NAFTA the ACLU, where I worked with kids from immigrant backgrounds, and also the Junior State of America, where I was a counselor at the summer school, where I worked again with kids actually from the territories, Saipan, Palau, Puerto Rico, Guam. It was really interesting. So after I I graduated, I decided to take a year off, and I got a job as an immigration paralegal. And I really liked it. It was a really good match for all of my past internship experiences. And I decided to go into law instead. So I applied to law school, got in, but then a job opened up at Hewlett Packard working in their immigration department. And so I was lucky enough to get it and decided to keep working while I was going to law school part time. And then (laughs) just one thing happens. (laughs) after another. So I was at HP, I was working in the immigration department and it was a really fun opportunity, got to meet a lot of really cool foreign nationals. But the program that I managed was very, very controversial. It still is to this day. And the CEO was actually flagged down in an interview by 60 Minutes about that program. And all of a sudden I was working with executive communications, public relations, media relations, legal, and an opportunity opened up for me to work with the speechwriters as a result of that instance. And I took that opportunity and I've kind of been straddling both <laughs> ever since law and public affairs. You know, if you're anywhere in San Francisco's Bay Area, you're always around immigrant entrepreneurs. So that's those have been my friends, those have been my managers, those have been my colleagues all the way through. And it's, it's been a wonderful experience. Early in my career, I had a, a very senior PR mentor and he dealt on the crisis management side. And I remember something he told me, he says, my job is to keep the CEO out of jail. <laughs> How true <laughs> is that? We're not usually, you know, subject to being imprisoned, you know, but There's also a a good saying that says, never waste a good crisis. You know, sometimes it can be the greatest opportunity to show how you can rise above 
the fray and actually come out ahead. That's very much the case with the company that I'm currently with. I'm currently the head of communications at NEO, and we are a Chinese headquartered but global electric vehicle manufacturer and a lifestyle company. Actually, we do more than just cars. We do power swapping. We have a NEO house. We have a NEO lifeline of goods. We have a really robust user community. Actually, people tend to engage with our cars to join our communities, our user communities more. So anyone in the automotive industry is going to tell you there's ups and downs. You can't try to make a car without, you know, <laughs> going into the red a little bit. And, you know, there's, there's no automotive manufacturer that's out there that I don't think has had, not had a recall. So, you know, this is a really good chance for you to rise above any kind of controversy and really articulate where you are, what your place is in the industry quite well, if you're calm enough. (laughs) (laughs) Good asterisk. Now, so obviously you have stories, specifics. Is there anything (laughs) you want to share in terms of, you know, a situation that you were involved in that turned around that you helped navigate and, and, and what to be learned there? Oh, wow. I can speak on, in very general terms. Sure. Very general terms, but, you know, it's always the unexpected. There's this really great Boz Lerman song and he has this quote. He's like, it's not the stuff that wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning. That's going to kill you. So (laughs) it's always the weird thing that you never thought was ever going to be something. And then all of a sudden it, it does become something. So I can, I think with every elected official I've worked with or for, with every CEO I've had the honor of, of working with, working for, writing for, it's always been that. You know, it's it's not not what you expect. You know, the the scheduled calls, like the the earnings announcements, the deliveries announcements, those those are pretty. You're supposed to be able to run a train on them, like a clock, and those are not the things that are going to get you. But everybody always stresses out about them. Like, are we going to make our deliveries? Are we going to make our numbers? That's fine. It's the randomest little thing. Like, you know, usually it's from a customer concern or or something that's affecting somebody personally. And I think all too many times I see uh, companies respond in a, in a very organizational way rather mm. than in a human way. And at the end of the day, we're all human. So it's that part that I love about my job because we can peel back all those layers of organizational bureaucracy and you know actually talk to each other as people. And I like to tell this to people that are new to presenting or that are, are burgeoning executives that have never had to have to speak before because they're already brilliant engineers. And that was enough until they made it to the C-suite. And I always say that there's a difference between presenting, listening, and relating. Mm. You know, presenting, usually you think about that, you know, you have your PowerPoint presentation and you're presenting like, these are our numbers, these are our products, this is what I can do for you, or this is what I want you to do for me. And then listening, that's what you're doing. <laughs> and like what your listeners are doing is they're, they're just listening. And, you know, some of it's going to resonate with them, some of it's not. And there may be a lesson learned, there may not. But relating is sort of like, you know, why are we here? Why are we having this conversation? And that's that's where things really get done. And that's it's the hardest part. 
because relating can often involve controversy. It can involve lost money, hurt feelings, different, different stances of opinion on something. It can be very difficult, but it's also where the groundbreaking kind of conversations happen where you can yeah. actually get things done. Yeah. Now, something came to mind. I know that, you know, it's become more commonplace for CEOs or executives to speak very candidly about things that they believe in. You know, what's the line between organizational alignment and, and not? What guidelines, guideposts or, or things you tell people? Because I'm sure those are things that stress you out sometimes. Who's going to say what? <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> you never know what's going to come up. But, you know, it's it's part of being authentic, I think, because, you know, people really resonate more with people that are authentic leaders. In fact, I, I love getting emails from fans of our cars, neo fans of our cars. A lot of them are, when are you going to come to the United States? I have some really cool ideas for battery swap stations. I really like the EP9. When can I go to the Peterson Museum and check it out? All of these questions. And it's, I really like to be able to carve out a little bit of time every day to respond personally to at least one or two. It's just sharing those personal stories. And, and somebody was saying, you know, I, I saw at Shell gas station that you have car washes and wouldn't a car wash also be a really cool place to have a battery swap station. And then I just said, you know, actually I saw that too when I was driving down from San Francisco to LA and I stopped off at Harris ranch and you see all these car wash stations and you're like, wow, couldn't those be great battery swap stations? And, you know, thank you so much for sharing your ideas. It's cool to know that you're thinking along the same lines that we are. And it's just that small moment where you're able to make a connection with somebody and who knows, they, they might be our next greatest Neo fan. They might post something on YouTube about us. You never really know. I mean, <laughs> you never really know where your strongest supporters or your greatest critics are going to come from. And as sometimes most often not who you expect it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just on that vein, not at the C-suite level, but as an organizational level, I think there's a lot of, I guess, different viewpoints on this, but how do you approach social media employees and guidelines there? Because I, you know, it seems like a moving post for, for some, so. So part of my job is managing our global social media handles. So we're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So it's, it's so funny. People say Neo is now a Twitter on Tesla <laughs> because, because it was just recently acquired, but we post things on social media. It's company news. We always have a, a fairly strident policy of only globally branded images are on there. So it's our, our best face forward, our official face. And we let our employees know about social media posts that you know, maybe one or two a week that might be interesting to them to post on their own networks, but their networks are their own networks. You know, we don't tell them what they should or should not post. We don't tell them, you know, please post this, but we also give them a little bit of verbiage on what to add with the post. Should they choose to include a company sponsored post on their social media feeds? What we find is that a lot of them end up retweeting or reposting what we've posted in the past. And it's, it's a great way for them to grow their own personal and professional networks because there are some neo fans out there. And it's also a really great way for them to become engaged in, in what we're doing. So we recently announced a very exciting partnership with the World Wildlife Fund. 
And, you know, some people were really excited about this. Some people were like, why the heck are we doing this? You know, some of our shareholders were like, that's a huge waste of money. But it all goes back to EVs. EVs are a sustainable objective. Our co-founder and CEO, William Lee, founded the company because he was holding his newborn son and he looked out at the gray Beijing sky and he said, there's got to be a better way. And he came up with the idea of blue sky coming and sustainability at its core. So since that time, we've always made a commitment to the environment. And in China, we have a clean parks initiative, which is uh, encouraging the use of EVs in parks by the, by the rangers themselves and also for people to come and enjoy the parks themselves. And so the parks go hand in hand with saving those adorable and wonderful animals that live in them. So that's a really exciting part of my job. We've made some investments in infrastructure to support electric vehicles at many of the national parks in China. And they're, they're beautiful. It's, it's an amazing terrain in China. You have tundras, you have deserts, you have everything in between. They're glorious. And we're, we're supporting the use of EVs in those clean parks. We recently made that announcement of the clean parks program. And then most recently, we announced a really exciting partnership with the World Wildlife Fund. We were talking about employee engagement. So we told our employees, like, this is a social media post. And they're like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> Why are we part of WWF? And I was like, at first, they thought it was the, the, the wrestling. And I was like, no, it's, it's not Hulk Hogan. <laughs> We're not doing anything with wrestling, but it's, it's the wildlife fund. And it makes sense because we have these clean parks initiatives. And it's all because of the sustainability objectives that are, are at the core of NEO. It, it's behind our blue sky coming mantra that we have. And so it was really cool to see the engineers say, oh, okay, you know, I, I work on ADAS systems for autonomy, or I work on firmware over-the-air updates, or I work on digital systems. But then they, they take a step back and they realize how what they're doing is connected to this broader mission of electric vehicles and sustainability and how we're actually making some investments towards that, that other objective that we have. So it's all part of a, a bigger vision that we have at NEO. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm going to like take it down to like a kind of granular level because, you know, your organization, thousands of employees, but, you know, you've probably seen different sides of organizations, the people that have come to you. Like, so, so walk me through, when does a company start to have to take PR and communication to the next level? Like at what size, what, what's kind of the first couple of things the company would start doing, whether it's media coaching or whatever speech, like walk me through like small company, medium company, large company, and then what, what it would look like ideally in those phases, just to get a feel of how it changes um, as organizations grow. So there's really no one size fits all. <laughs> and you're not going to be surprised that I'm telling you this, but you know, if you're a person that's bootstrapping themselves and is trying to start their own startup, 
you pretty much have to have your A game on all the time. And you know this, Tats, because you're in those shoes, right? And so I think a lot of people are like, well, when do I need to hire a PR agency? When do I need to engage with hiring somebody to manage my communications? And it it really depends on, on when you feel that you can off the load. But it's not something... So I'm going to tell people something that they don't want to hear, (laughs) which is that you can't just hire somebody to do it all for you. Because if it's your company, if it's your startup, you are the lifeblood behind it. And you can hire the, the slickest, most expensive PR agency in the world or person in the world, but they're not going to have the same kind of passion and understanding about your product or service as you're going to have. So you need to be able to bring that out in yourself, because if you can't advocate for yourself, if you can't advocate for your business, no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. I mean, a a mix of improving yourself and then understanding how PR fits into your business flywheel to, to make sure the ROI is being pulled out and it's relevant to your industry and your core strength and to your go to market, I guess. Yeah. If you look at the sales funnel, at the top of the funnel is awareness. So you know a lot of different car companies that are out there and you know a lot of different EV companies that are out there. And then there's a funnel, which is that triangle part. And then there's the final like little narrow part of the funnel. And then that's when you make your decision. So PR really matters at the top of the funnel and at the end of the funnel, where it's awareness and preference. So making you aware of all the different choices that you have have um, for an electric vehicle or for a building solution, for instance, that are out there and making sure that people have a a good idea of the different options that they have, um, different price points, different luxuries, different necessities that they need, different safety features that they have. And then they'll go through their own process of like what is most important to them in this overall buying decision. And then they'll come to the funnel and it'll become a preference. So I I love to use an example of a friend of mine who was doing a house remodel, right? Like she was remodeling her kitchen and it was this huge arduous task. You know, it's tens of thousands of dollars, right? And one of the decisions she had to make was for a dishwasher, right? Dishwasher was like maybe a thousand dollars at that time, maybe close to two if she's going to go super top of the line. She had already spent like tens of thousands of dollars on cabinets, electrical rewiring, flooring, et cetera. So this was really no big deal, but still she uses the dishwasher. So she went into the the process thinking, okay, well, she knew about Bosch because Bosch had this wonderful brand name, this wonderful reputation. She knew about LG. She knew about, you know, some of the other, I think Miele was coming out with its, its very top of the brand. And then of course there's Kenmore, um, and Maytag, just to name a few. But she had in her mind Bosch. And she went through everything about like the sprays, the hoses, the nozzles, the different kinds of trays you could have in there, the drying, like how dry your dishes would be out of it. And at the end, she ended up choosing Bosch. And she said it was actually between LG and Bosch. And she said LG was like $100 cheaper. And I said, well, then why didn't you go with LG? And she's like, because I, I preferred Bosch. And I was just like, that's so interesting because like you came in thinking Bosch and then you you left with a Bosch 
even though you spent that those several weeks like agonizing over all of these other different aspects. So, you know, your preference really does say something about, you know, what you're going to to buy. So, in the end, the communications, the public relations were were bring forth that awareness in the best possible way so that you can go into that decision and we're already a, a bit ahead because you've already heard about us, you've heard good things about us, um, and we know about you. That's not saying that you can't be that dark horse. Yeah. That's not saying that you could be that LG and totally <laughs> overtake the Bosch. It's not saying that she doesn't regret not really looking into Miele more. Yeah, I, I guess what it, what it sounds like to, to me that at the awareness level, there's if you put your best foot forward, there's a preference that's already there, whether it's from, you know, the, the existing brand equity or just what you're doing with the awareness campaign that drives some sort of light preference. And then I guess at the bottom of the funnel, which is solidify, it's just people feel good after they bought it, right? <laughs> that post-purchase research or confirmation that and that you tell your friends uh, how wonderful it is to feel, you know, absolutely sure that the money was placed in the right hands. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's how you feel about, about the purchase afterwards. I think that also makes a big difference because, you know, different people have different experiences with products after the purchase, you know, how well they were supported in it. That's really good user development, user care, customer care. But not a lot of people are paying as much attention to that. That certainly was the case with car buying past. You know, your your relationship with the dealer beyond any service agreement was kind of over once you bought the car. But at Neo, it was it was just beginning. You know, because we have the Neo houses where you can come visit and stay and relax and enjoy a coffee with some friends, enjoy the childcare or the conference room facilities. And then we have the user groups, like we have basketball teams, we have um, fashion clubs, we have a Neo band. So there's a lot more points of connection for that relation that I was talking about, not presentation, not listening, but actual relations. And some of it can be good and some of it can be bad. Not every interaction is going to be a positive interaction, but if it can be a collaborative interaction where you feel like there was a give and take and you feel like the other party was listening to you, I think I think you're going to come out ahead. Even if you don't feel like you're the best presenter, even if you are a starting entrepreneur and you don't you can't afford a PR agency, you can't afford a PR person, you don't feel like you're the best presenter in the world. Just having that confidence in yourself to believe in your product or service is going to serve you immensely just because of that faith that you have in yourself because people want to to believe in people who believe in themselves so this goes back to relating so preference is a component of is relating absolutely absolutely so the reason why my friend <laughs> preferred the Bosch dishwasher is that she had friends who've had dishwashers break down and Bosch service was just amazing. Like they would come within a few days and it was up and running, no problem. Others, she heard like missing parts. They had to order a part. She couldn't get anyone to come, whatever. So I think it's, it's that the stories about how that relationship carries on afterwards 
is what makes a difference. Wonderful. I mean, in your role, I, I always wonder, you know, it, like you said, you never know what's coming around the corner. I mean, are you constantly checking your phone or, or do you have a group of people constantly? <laughs> yeah, because whether you're I, pitching. I do constantly check my phone. I've, I've given a little bit of, so because we work for a global company, you know, it's, it's every time zone that you can imagine, but it's one of those things where you can, you can like control you, or you can try to control it a little bit and, and let people know, you know, what's, what's an emergency, what's not. But I think we're all under that pressure, aren't we? We, we all have that decision on whether we're going to check our email. We all have that decision on, is that text message so urgent that I need to respond to it right now? I'm sure that we've all, all been to a restaurant with our family or we've sat at a restaurant and watched other families just that are staring at their phone rather than talking to one another. So I think we're all in that boat. I think my reality is really no different than anybody else's. Sure, absolutely. Now, um, how do you think PR and social media and all those things are going to evolve going forward? <laughs> it is is so hard to find out the truth. And so my dad once told me something. This is when I was very young. He said, believe nothing of what you read, half of what you see, and nothing of what you, um, nothing of what you read, nothing of, and half of what you see. I think that's where it ended. He didn't, yeah, there wasn't anything more profound than that, but, but it's so true. You know, even stories that are written about us are not completely true. And even stories that I read about what's going on with our competitors or other people in the industry, I'll check with their PR people and they're like, no, that, that's not quite accurate either. You can read the social media posts and they're, they're mostly marketing. <laughs> I'll just be really honest, but it gives you that great opportunity. You know, we could fall victim to it and say, oh, poor us, you know, we're, we're just being told lies all the time. But this is tremendous opportunity to find out, number one, is it, so very interesting that we want to find out more for ourselves and you know who is it that we're going to really believe because there's even more news out there just with the number of tiktokers youtubers reviews blogs online you know print gossip you can go anywhere and find anything about anyone at any time so we've never had such a proliferation of news at our fingertips than we do now. And it's a responsibility that we all have to, to realize that, okay, some of them we're going to see is not necessarily the whole truth. And what is it that we're going to believe? And what is it that we're going to seek from the sources that we trust? Yeah. So key question, how do you build trust? Oh, <laughs> There was a really great Harvard Business Review article. It just, it came out in 2006. And the way that trust is built, according to this article, is it's through a series of interactions. It's not through just one interaction, but it's through keeping your word or holding up your end of the commitment along every step of the way. So you make an appointment with your dentist. And you show up on the appointed date and the appointed time and lo and behold, your dentist is there and ready to work on your teeth and you expects you to pay him or her for that service. And you do that interaction happens over the next five years. Always you show up, he shows up, you get your teeth cleaned, 
and you have trust as a result. So when that dentist tells you that you need oral surgery, you're probably going to believe her, right? Just because you've established that, that trust. So it's all through a series of interactions and, you know, how, how trustworthy people feel that you are. Are you, are you telling them the whole truth, you know, and are you being as transparent as possible? And it's okay to say you don't know. I think uh, a lot of times people get afraid of saying, oh, I, I don't know if I, I feel comfortable saying that because I, I need to look authoritative. And I'm like, well, sometimes you can look the most authoritative by saying that you don't know because here's the newsflash. Most people don't know either. Very cool. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to cover? I don't think so. I'm flattered that you wanted to talk to me because <laughs> I'm just I'm just spinning yarns about stories that my grandmother and my grandfather and adages that my parents used to tell me. And it all goes back to that. It's, it's about personal relationships and just dealing with people like people. At the end of the day, that's all what we want, right? Yeah, perfect. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.